0: You're listening to a 95BFM podcast. Dominic Bryce. Aberlin was recently the first New Zealander to be killed serving as a soldier in Ukraine. Thousands of individuals across the world have answered the call to fight in the war in Ukraine. I spoke to Waikato University law professor Alexander Gillespie about the kinds of people fighting in the war. What is the difference between a Defence Force personnel, a mercenary and a foreign fighter?
1: Someone who's a soldier or someone in the military for New Zealand can only have one master and that they, they sign an oath of allegiance to serve only the, the New Zealand government unless the New Zealand government decides to allow them to serve elsewhere. A mercenary is someone who goes overseas and fights for profit for whoever effectively wants to hire them and someone who fights for a foreign force is someone who would go in there and join the army who's not in the New Zealand military but be paid at the standard rate that they would be in that other country's army.
0: What was Dominic and classified as?
1: Well, it depends who you ask, and a lot of the information we simply don't know. He was on leave without pay, if I understand it, from the New Zealand military, and so he he was not there with the authority of the New Zealand government. Whether he was paid while he was there, I, I don't know. But what we can be certain of is the way that the Russians view such people who come in, the way that the Russians see them is that they see them as mercenaries. And so this means that when any foreign fighters or people of foreign nationality are, are caught in the Ukraine fighting against the Russians, they, they see them as mercenaries. And in practice, this means that they won't allow them prisoner of war status. So if they're captured, they will be tried and possibly convicted for war crimes. And the, the flow one is that as they have no rights, then other rules, such as the return of bodies, become very difficult.
0: Are there any estimations about how many New Zealand fighters are in the Ukraine at the moment?
1: There are, but I wouldn't give a lot of them too much weight. I would guess... Maybe a, a couple of dozen, maybe. Who, but no one really knows. The only people who know are those who are on the ground. Everything else is just conjecture that you pick up off social media. The ones you've got to be really concerned about, though, aren't whether... I mean, we should be concerned about New Zealanders who have gone over there as foreign fighters, generally, because they put themselves at risk and they can make the war more complicated as well. But the ones you've got to be really focused on are the ones who are connected to the New Zealand military. Because if the New Zealand military ones are there, it kind of gives the appearance of somehow we, we agree to them being there, unless there's a very strong control put over them
0: there is a large body of foreign fighters in the ukraine at the moment are we seeing a similar situation to what we saw in the spanish civil war
1: yeah and all sides are using them and, and so the ukrainians are calling for them the russians are definitely using them and people want to fight and because ethically it, it's a it's a justifiable kind of conflict i mean you can understand why you'd want to go and fight to defend the ukraine but the problem is that that Ethic, law, and politics are all very different things. And so there's a risk not only to the individuals who go, because if they are classified as mercenaries, then if I say that they will get no prisoner of war rights. The other risk is that the conflict becomes more difficult to disentangle, because all these other people are there, and it risks morphing into an international conflict as opposed to a bilateral one.
0: How do governments stress that this is not boots on the ground in Ukraine?
1: You have to make it unequivocal that no New Zealand military soldiers are there in the Ukraine. I mean, we, we, we can provide training for the Ukrainian troops in Britain. We can provide them with military equipment that is sent to the Ukraine, but, but no New Zealand boots must be on the ground. And this means that you've got to be double down on the rules to ensure that any military personnel do not cross the border and that you keep a very tight leash on any New Zealand personnel that may be in Europe at that point.
0: Realistically, is there anything that the government or the New Zealand Defence Force can do to stop these fighters' travelling over to the Ukraine?
1: It will need to make sure that the, the contracts that everyone has when when they sign their terms of employment are best international practice that they don't go to these locations it, but it will be difficult because some people will be drawn to the war zone and will want to fight and so the government needs to do the, the best it can to make sure that it expresses its displeasure and does not approve of anyone going there who's in the military the, the other difficulty though is with regards to people who want to just join up generally like your, your standard citizen and some countries have created what we call foreign enlistment act whereby people are prohibited from going to join a foreign conflict. We already do type of that thinking with regards to certain people who want to go join terrorist groups And so like we've got a list of groups that if you try to join them then it's a criminal offence and When you come back you will be put into jail But we don't have a general rule for people who want to go and join foreign militaries per se Some would argue that now we should maybe have a law that says no New Zealand citizen can join foreign armies per se Whereas others would say you should just have it only certain groups you can't join like terrorist
0: groups What would be some of the consequences if they do survive going over there and then
1: coming back? At the moment, none, And but then you've got to try to balance that, that personal liberty of people being able to free to go and fight for a noble cause as opposed to against the political risk of your citizens going to another country and making the relationship with them. Russia even worse.
0: In terms of foreign fighters, what are you expecting to see going forward?
1: I think we're going to see a a continued debate about the the body of the the Kiwi who was killed and in many ways this is kind of like a a microcosm of a much larger issue and it's sort of like, had he just been a normal soldier then there would have been rules over what would have happened to his remain in terms of them being repatriated to New Zealand. But when you've got someone who's in this kind of grey zone between all these different classifications, you see a lot of ambiguities appear and I think you will see that more. This is difficult dealing with his body. It would be worse if he was captured alive and was now standing trial in a war trials tribunal or court in the Ukraine before Russian judges and so in many ways this is a terrible tragedy but it could be much worse and if the government doesn't do more to control the situation we we may get to see those problems play out.
0: What are they doing to try and repatriate his body?
1: Well it it will be dealt with at the diplomatic level and behind closed doors and you've got to do that to respect the privacy of the family of course and that that needs to be our uppermost consideration but the way the laws of war work is that when a soldier falls on the battlefield their body must not be mutilated and it must be normally at the end hostilities repatriated normally you'd have an exchange whereby both sides would give their, their bodies over and that's important so you can show honour to the to the fallen soldier and also it's important because it shows restraint and that helps build pathways for peace coming out of the conflict the problem is that some countries don't return the remains of fallen soldiers and they can become collateral for larger negotiation purposes the more ambiguous status of the soldier the more likely that will be and so you've got recent conflicts in different parts of the world where before are collected and used for bartering purposes for political goals further on down the line where they try to push your country to go one way or the other. I sincerely hope that doesn't happen here, but but it is a risk.
0: We've seen several examples of soldiers being captured and then held hostage in in Russia or or eastern Ukraine, which is under Russian control. What kind of negotiations are are set
1: up usually when that happens? You've got two levels of conflict here, two levels of concern. Your first one is if, if they're basic soldiers and lawful combatants in a Ukrainian uniform and fighting by the laws of war and getting paid at the same rate, then they are prisoners of war. And and then the Geneva Conventions come into play. And there's a whole sequence of rules that that cover everything from the the marking of prisoner of war camps right through to the rations that they need to be given each day. The difficulty is when they're not classified as prisoner of war and they don't have the associated rights. And in those situations, how they're dealt with is largely at the discretion of the country holding them. And the risk is, is that these people were held and then taken and brought to trial and possibly executed.
0: That was Waikato University Professor Alexander Gillespie talking about foreign fighters in Ukraine. That was a 95 BFM podcast. To hear more, head to 95bfm.com slash bcasts.